Hey, I'm Michael, and this is Michael in the Middle. It's an intergenerational relational podcast for people who are interested in better human interaction. I'm glad you're here. Well, hey, welcome in, friends, to, um, uh, at least for me, (laughs) an incredibly special opportunity uh, and I think before you get to the end of this recording, you're going to be absolutely thrilled that you tuned in as well. I'm here with Shonda Pierce, and uh, I, I, I don't who know you what, knew most of the time as Shonda, Shonda Courtney. Courtney. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, and honestly, occasionally I will still remember my my girl friends. Yes, by their by their you oh, know, don't name. He had yeah. many girlfriends at Trevecca. <laughs> no, Sarah that. finally got him, but I'm just saying, yeah. <laughs> Maybe prior to Trevecca. Uh, yeah. Uh, Sarah kind of batting down the hatches early on uh, uh-huh. after I chased her down. But uh, <laughs> now this is such a treat. Um, Sean and I really didn't know each other until we got uh, to, to the campus of Trevecca Nazarene College back then in the fall of 1978, but uh, you are looking at, or you're listening to, as the case may be, right? the president and vice president of the freshman class at Trevecca Nazarene College in 1978. That's exactly right. And uh, we, we were a powerhouse. We ruled that campus, you know. Powerhouse. Before there was Joe and Kamala, there was <laughs> Michael and Shonda. <laughs> So true, so true. And who would have ever dreamed there'd be a Joe and Kamala back in 1978? Yeah, yeah. America's yep. made made some progress on a lot of levels. I yeah, guess. we did. Hey, hey, we we were there when the fountain was new. The Cascades was new. Yeah, it was just a few years old. Oh man, people were still. You know, it cost, someone always put uh, soap suds in it. I have no idea. Who. That's like a, a real no no now because it costs a lot of money to clean that thing I out. Hey, um, I want to get to how you got to Trevecca in a minute, but uh, I, I, I mean, a lot of people know that that Shonda is one of the all-time best-selling female comedians in recorded history. Yes, true. I, I mean, I mean, um, you know, how many how many different recording projects have you done? Oh my lord, probably thirty. You know, twenty of them made it to a store. You know, and then I have. <laughs> I think I have 11 gold and nine platinum projects. That's so. just astounding. Oh, it blows my mind. Listen, but it it cracks me up when I when they had a big party for me, the yeah. RIAI, whoever gives you, you know, gold records or whatever they call it, the recording arts industry. Yeah. He um he read this little proclamation they were having a little gathering and <laughs> I looked at the guy and I said, "This is this is so shocking, you know, because you have your head down. You just do the work. Yeah. And it was probably, I'd been doing what I do maybe 20 years, okay. you know. And and I I was just amazed, you know. And I said, because there's Whoopi Goldberg and, I mean, Chelsea Handler was just starting and Ellen DeGeneres. And I was, you know, and he goes, I know, we did the math twice because we've never heard of you. <laughs> That, that is the Lord's way that he has always been able to keep me humble, keep you, you know, humble. in some way. And and it is, um, it still surprises me, it, but a lot of bling on the wall. Um, I used to hide them in the closet. I didn't yeah. ever put them out because I didn't want my family to think they were too important. Um, that was my, what my mother told me to do. 
<laughs> that uh, that little Nazarene humility, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and I finally, when I had a couple of them in my church, at World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro yeah. for years, and um and I and they were I put them in a closet, you know, yeah. in in the back of the you know sanctuary room. I, I found them in there one time, and and I and finally my pastor was really good about take these things and put them on the wall this is you've worked really hard and and I did and I had them on the wall for a long time and then um and then I took them down again you know they're like my uh nemesis sometimes I'm really proud of it and then sometimes it represents too many days away from home Mm. back then in order to get something sold we didn't have streaming you know we didn't have uh you know, uh, we had you had to just absolutely scan the piece of product at a store or at a concert, and that's that's how it'd get registered. So you had to actually go out with the people yeah. to get something sold. Yeah. Um, I, if they had had cell phones, you know, when I first started out, uh, that that even that would have been wonderful. But yeah. there was no, you know, no uh, zooming, you know, to get, keep in touch with your kids. There were no cell phones. You have to race to a hotel to get to a phone to call them before they go to bed or you know to get in touch with your husband so i used to look at him and and be shameful that man i i worked too hard Mm. i was gone too much Mm. mainly because of of the way things happened with your family as the years go by then you meet other artists who are much bigger than you are and sold much more product than you ever sold and have buses and all that and they have the same struggle with their kids. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not so bad. Or you meet an evangelist, you know, <laughs> whose kids hate the church, you know. And, um, and then so you realize that that struggle of home is no different in any sector out there. School teachers who love going to school and teaching kids, but they would like to be home sometimes with their own kids. So every, every woman, I think, goes through that same dilemma. Finding you know? balance is like just... That's an incredible right. challenge for anybody who's going to attempt to do something significant with their career. Yes. Finding that work-life balance. Um, you it's know, hard. I've, I've, I've struggled with it even in the work that I do across the years. It, it is hard. Um, you, um, I mean, I, I love the title when I heard you were doing Michael in the Middle. I always thought, is, was he a middle child? You know, I didn't <laughs> think. I'm like, I don't think he was a middle child. And I was trying to figure that out. But what I love is if you're right in the middle of a teeter-totter here's what we used to call it seesaw seesaw yeah the only place that is balanced is the middle right in the middle so yeah. you're either doing great high and great or you're down on the pitch you know but if you could learn to live in the middle yeah. you know that's that's the jam you that's know awesome. that's awesome so um you've ended up making a, a a living for yourself you've crafted an amazing career by making people laugh <laughs> when when did you know you were funny uh, when mother would forget why she's going to spank me. You know what I mean? If you could make her laugh, she would totally forget what she was supposed to be spanking you for. And then she'd remember later and come in the room. Oh, now I remember. Now what I remember. you? Yeah, here's what you did wrong, you know. Those were the times, you know, mother used to joke that she'd rent me out to Sunday school parties and I'd sing and tap dance on the, you know, coffee tables for people. And yeah. there was all those, always those jokes. And I was a middle child. I was the middle girl. Okay. There were four of us, my brother, but he was, he's so much older than I am. It really, at home for a long time, it just felt like there were three girls at home. So I was the middle child. And who were the three girls? You, you, Sherilyn, you my little sister, okay. and then me, Shonda, and my big sister, Charlotta. Yeah. And they were each four years, we were four stair steps. So 
even though my parents had twin beds, every three or four years, <laughs> they got together somewhere in the house. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I watch reruns of Dick Van Dyke every now and then. <laughs> yes. And, or the Lucy show. And, you, you and they're all sl- sleeping in twin beds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somehow the human race survived all of That's that. exactly <laughs> right. And boy, I used to think, how stupid and silly. They can't have it. You know, it was like, I think it was the Brady Bunch or something when a man and a woman was finally in the same okay. bed. Yeah. You know, and now don't you look at television going, oh, man, they should have gone back to the, you know. Once you start moving that line, it gets weird. <laughs> I mean, now a soap opera is like soft porn, you know, basically for what I grew up, which is why I'm taping my mind right now. But all the <laughs> just kidding. I um, it is. It's like every time you move the line, it gets worse. Worse. A mother has said that to me my whole life, honey. You just like to tiptoe on that line. One of these days, you're gonna just go fall over. Mm. <laughs> like, but she's in heaven now, so I don't worry about it. Yeah. I just go ahead and fall over, won't, sh- <laughs> won't shock her. Yeah. So your brother, your brother, uh, Mike. Dr. Michael Courtney. Yeah. Mike, Mike is a is a good friend of mine. Somebody that I really admire. And oh, he likes you. Amazing yeah. work, you know. Yes. Um, sometimes out of even his own story and, and yes. finding his way, he's talked to me about how the the Lord brought the Branches Counseling Center to know, life to, to life through. Pain. issues in in some respects that he had dealt with and uh, he's done an amazing work there your two sisters um you lost them yes in in, in, in a very difficult way during your high school years yes uh, what do you remember about your sisters um everything you know um especially it's interesting i i don't often anymore but when i do have a a triggering moment or I find an old picture or yeah. I'm just moving into a house. So it's like every other day you open a new box and there's, you know, stuff. Um, I can remember how they felt when you hugged them. I, you know, I can remember their height and all of that. Um, and when I dream once in a while, one of them will be in my dream and I thank the Lord for it, you know, yeah. because it's been so long now yeah. you're like, Oh man, I, I, I was so afraid I would forget what she looked like, you know? But I, um, I was a sophomore in high school. I was 16 when my little sister, uh, when my big sister was killed in a car wreck. And she was a sophomore at Trevecca mm. at that time. Mm. And um, it, she was killed in the summer. We had just moved to Tennessee. Mm. And so all of this was kind of new to us. We, my dad had taken a church in Ashland City, Tennessee. And um, and I remember hearing on the radio the first fatality of the bicentennial weekend for the state of Tennessee mm. was a young preacher's daughter, and uh, she was killed in a car wreck. And so our our life at home was not always the picket fence and the lovely pastoral, you know, feeling that you hear about. Ours was rough, and my father struggled with mental illness. And it's interesting how after you know he left and it was not a good scene it was he a lot of secrets came out when he yeah. left and it was hard on the church yeah. you know who thought the pastor was just the greatest you know but and in the middle of him leaving my little sister got sick and found out she had leukemia mm, mm. and by that time it was my fresh my senior year of high school and um she died within 21 days and so when I came to Trevecca, and you know we had talked about this earlier, when I came to Trevecca, I look back now at that 
loud mouth, you know, trying to get some relief and attention. Um, you know, it's partied as much as I knew about partying back yeah. then, but was not at all interested in having my head in a book, you yeah. know. Yeah. I failed, what is that, aesthetic something where you had to watch Man's the aesthetics. art. Yes, I failed that, a big yeah. flat F. It, and I could not memorize all those paintings. In the world or yeah, something like that, that was yes, exactly. And I was like, oh my goodness, you know. I I remember uh, being mad at having to take prayer 101 <laughs> with Fred Huff, and I'm like, I've been praying all my life. Now I have to pay 180 dollars for this class. You know what I mean? It was like I rebelled about everything. You know, I was the one with the little soap suds once in a while. I mean it. It was just, I was not the one that should be going to school. Weren't, weren't you in the cast of the Music Man, though? I was year? in the cast of the Music Man. And I went to the dean fussing and stewing because they left out the Shapoopy, which that was the oh song God. and the yeah. dance, which that is so imperative to the storyline. Right. And I went and said, this is absolutely ridiculous. Well, we couldn't say Shapoopy. It sounded weird. And two, we couldn't dance. And so... <laughs> I even when the, I remember when they did My Fair Lady yeah. and the guy comes walking through, you know how he goes on the street where you live and he walks and he realizes that he's in love and he goes, D-A-M, 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 yeah. I'd spell it, you know, but, but that's, that's in the movie, it's in the movie, but it, it's really, you know, it means he's really aggravated that he's discovered he's in love. <laughs> and when Trevecca did it, he came out and went, shoot, <laughs> heck, you know, <laughs> he was like, what, you know, and so it's those things I was always, you know, Jim Near, I was always complaining, you know, what, this is ridiculous, you know, but um, it was because inside was just, no, I, and I weighed about 78 pounds, yeah. you know, oh, for that again, but um, I, it, I was just a hurting person. Just hurting person. You lost, you lost your older sister. You lost your mom and dad in terms of their marriage. Right. That life changed. My identity, yeah. And, My and, little and then, sister. And then you lose your little sister all yep. in the space of about, what, 24 to 36 months? Yes. If, I mean, and my big brother, who I idolized, he had moved away and got married. And, you know, I thought, just forgot the family. But he's living his life. It is really interesting, I think, that our dysfunctional past manifest itself in two totally different ways. Mike uh, grew through those years to never talk about it. He would talk about Charlotte and Sherilyn much. He would never say much about dad. He would never talk about the dysfunction of our childhood. Yeah. Still doesn't like it all that much. Yeah. But he, he was absolutely quiet about it. And that pain manifests itself into addiction. Um, my pain manifests itself eventually into deep depression mm -hmm. because <laughs> I was telling everybody about it. Yeah. Uh, but, and neither way works perfectly. You have to have that balance, you so, know. Somewhere in there, yeah. you, you took on the, uh, the, the, the life, in a sense, of yeah. Minnie Pearl. I did. In, in the middle of all of that, you're, you're dealing with all this depression, and everything, and you're trying to figure out who you're going to be. And I know yes. you ended up leaving Trebek and go to Austin P, which was which was fine and all that. We missed you a lot on campus, but by extension, we felt like a little bit of Trebekah had hit the big time when you were out at Opryland and you were. Wasn't that fun you, when Opryland was like the big oh, thing? Oh man, yeah. I remember getting the job there, and my mother, my mother would never miss a show. I mean, yeah. and she was a nurse at Trebekah Healthcare. 
she would get off work that mor in the mornings, go change her clothes and get to the park and sit there and watch the show over and over again and then go sleep because she could go back to work, you know, as yeah. a nurse. She lived at Trevecca Towers yeah. for many yeah. years. So yeah. did I when, you know, thank yeah. goodness for uh, T.E. Jones. <laughs> he helped us pick up the pieces. But you're exactly right. And look at the providence of God. I, um, I, I, when I first started out, I talked a lot about growing up on the second row piano side. And I talked a lot about, I, I, I would actually go out and have my mini pearl hat on. I'd do about 10 minutes of mini pearl. Then I'd take my hat off and say, I'm not the real mini pearl. But isn't it amazing that in the middle of my most bitter and angry and hurtful time, the God of the universe found a job for me mm. where five times a day, six days a week, I had to make a group of people laugh in order and to get a paycheck. And you could be somebody else. And I could be somebody else. So and for, I was uh, a lot of people in that show. It you? was a very schizophrenic show. Um, <laughs> it was the uh, history of country music by oh, song. Okay. Yeah, and so I did I did uh, Barbara Mandrell. I did uh, Kitty Wales. I did uh, Loretta Lynn. I did Dolly Parton. I had to use socks. Um, and I did, let's see... <laughs> Just see if you caught that. Yeah. But uh, I did a lot of, you know, different impersonations. But in order to skip the big dance number, uh, if I impersonated Minnie Pearl, I, then I would be changing clothes while the whole cast is doing this big dance thing mm -hmm. because I was horrible. You're a bad dancer. Horrible dancer. I never, it was a Nazarene. Yeah. I didn't want to go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> We've uh, we've gotten past. You've come that. a long way, baby. Uh, yeah, yeah. How come Nazarene's got fun when I left? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. You know, but it but it is interesting. And my brother's life, and he, you know, I'm, it's not his story. He wrote a book called Failure and How I Achieved It, mm -hmm. which I'm still jealous of that. Yeah. You know, I wrote a book called Laughing in the Dark. You know, yeah. so. But you're right. Out of our pain. And the Bible talks about it. And God will work all things for good. He doesn't mean he's going to let something really horrible happen to you. But he says, whatever happens to you, I will use it yeah. for good if you give yeah. it to me. Yeah. And it was years before I could learn to give it to him. Yeah. And that I didn't have to be somebody else. So you came to Cheatham County. I did. Uh, right late in your high school Career. Yes. So, am I, well, am I in right 1975, there? we moved oh, here. Oh, in 75. So 10th, 11th, 12th grade years. Yes, yes. I, we moved to Mississippi from Oklahoma at that same time. And wow. I, and those high school years were so yeah. pivotal for me. Um, me too. There's know, really planting I mean, seeds. Yeah. I'm so grateful for this little county. For one, we I was in South Carolina most of my childhood. Yeah. And then suddenly wind up in, in this you know, ten, I remember first time we moved into Asheville City, I noticed there was like only one little tiny strip of a sidewalk. You know what I mean? Yeah. There were no fast food restaurants. I had come from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Nice. Yeah. And the, and here I am in the middle of middle Tennessee, and uh, and it just seemed so weird and awkward. And then immediately, within six months or so, you know, came the summer, and, and when Charlotte was killed, it was. It, this, it was meant for us to be here during that because I've never seen a little town wrap their arms around a stranger group of women, you know, a strange family that's strange to them. Yeah. And this little community wrapped their arms around us so well, and so, so you've beautifully. you've had roots here pretty much ever I since I feel in one that. way or another, right? I do feel that way. I, well, in my sophomore year, I met this curly-headed 
you know, Hispanic-looking, gorgeous, dark-skinned man, you know, okay, boy, but, uh, you know, who who wrestled in the 100-pound weight class. Oh, my word. And he would have to work to really, you know, make sure he could get he'd eat all day to make sure he makes weight. You know, that's how little we both were. But um, he became the love of my life, yeah. David Pierce. Yep, and we finally married our senior year of school and, uh, in 1982, and, uh, and we were married 31 years. Yeah. How, did, how did he end up at Trebekah? I don't know that I ever know that. Well, he got a scholarship at MTSU because he was smart. Yeah. I was still studying. I still had to take the ACT test when I got to Trefeca the first day of class. Yeah. I excused myself. I wasn't even thinking of going to college. Right. One, I didn't yeah, have any yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. But um, I had a wonderful uncle who said at my at my sister's little sister's funeral, "Have you thought about college?" And I was like, "Ha ha ha!" And um, he said, "You tell me where you want to go, and I'll write the check." Wow. And he paid for my first year of Trefeca. Now okay. I, I had to come up with you know. Uh, the meal plan, meal plan and some sure. of that stuff, you know, yeah. which was fine. Because, one, you don't – man's giving you a, a year of school. You don't go, okay, and what about – I'd like to have socks too, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. But, um, so, you know, I went to Trevecca, and he went to MTSU. And so, uh, we, you know, it was just a long-distance relationship. Yes. Which was, what, 40 miles. But right. for us, that was forever. So he, he left his scholarship at MTSU – and came to Trevecca. Wow. And so when he went to Trevecca, that didn't, we didn't behave very well. And so I had to leave. That's hilarious. <laughs> I always say, I got caught climbing out of the dorm one night, but it wasn't my dorm, so I don't know what the big deal is. But, <laughs> but that was a long list of grievances, I'm sure. And so, so I went to Austin P. And he was like, I uh, yeah, you know, and he was working two jobs to right. stay at Trevecca, you know. It was just so funny. And finally, we decided we better get married because this is costing us, you know, a, a great reputation and a lot of money. That's and hilarious. so we got married, yeah. David, <laughs> David was a very sensitive person. I yes, always, good guy. And, and, and I, I, he was always thoughtful. And when I say thoughtful, I don't just mean that he would say something kind to someone. He, thought about things always and I always, I, I always deep thinker I always yeah. admire that he's a really good writer right very good writer he wrote several books in his own right um his third book had just come out uh, a couple of weeks before he passed mm. and it was called um oh man you shouldn't have asked me uh how to kill a zombie how to kill a zombie and it's really good I was just going through it the other day and I thought man I wish he had taken his own advice a little more, you know. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's about those times when men feel like they've lost who they are, mm. and uh, and and he made started making an intentional effort to to wake up, to come out of that death experience of being a zombie, and it was really really great. The trouble is, his health had already been damaged, and he had a terrible stroke, you know, and passed. Shocking, yeah. biggest shock of my life. When I do a podcast or things like this or visit with somebody or even on stage, there's still, I worry because I'll still shed a tear or two and I'm always afraid there's going to be some counselor that says, you probably still need some work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm like, I have a brother. He straightened me out. You know, but um, I, it, it still is always tender. When I look back 
at my life, I, I've had some rough, uh, you know, I remember watching this documentary. When Laughing in the Dark came out, it debuted at the n- number two spot across the country, mm-hmm. which was a shock. Um, or maybe it was number four, and then Enough was number two. That was a follow-up documentary. I've had four documentaries about my life, and I'm still alive. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what y'all are going to do when I'm dead. But but all that stuff, I remember watching. Well, laugh. first thing we're going to do is cry. Yes, okay. yeah, please cry, and yeah. then laugh, yeah. and then cry. Okay. Uh-huh. And, and somebody has to wet their pants. But um, I remember. <laughs> the older I get, the less of the problem <laughs> That's exactly is. Yeah. right. Yeah. So. <laughs> I always said, God, I want to work until I make people wet their pants. And then I go, but I don't want to work when I'm wetting my <laughs> pants. You know, I <laughs> I need to retire. <laughs> but I remember sitting in the movie theater with my son and watching Laughing in the Dark. And, you know, and it goes through your whole life and all of this stuff. Yeah. And I leaned over to him and said, my life sucks. <laughs> and he goes, duh. <laughs> but it really doesn't. You know, I've had pain. I've, I can ha- I've had every kind of death I think you can imagine. I've had horrible things happen to me. Some things that will not be, you know, told until I'm dead. But I, um, uh, you know, dating is a very danger. Let me just say that. Um, that I have had horrible things happen. And yet, I can't stop loving Jesus. Mm. Sometimes I wish I could. Mm. <laughs> mm. But it's kind of what we were talking about. You said, uh, someone said to you, um, you know, church, I get aggravated with the church world, but I, uh, there's just something about that Jesus. Yeah. And there is. There really, really mm-hmm. is. And because of that, then I keep giving church a chance. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's amazing. So um, you've been out. Um, you Gallivant in the you world. Step out, you step out on stage and... And your job is, I mean, people are coming expecting to be entertained yes, and to laugh. I know. They're, I wish um, they would stop. You know. <laughs> uh, I've I, said that now for the last few tours. First thing out of my mouth when I walk out on stage, stop buying tickets. I need to retire. And they all just laugh. I'm like, I'm not kidding. <laughs> uh, you know, I've talked with you some about this. Our, our son, uh, Austin, James Austin in the in the comedy world. James Austin Johnson is a he's he's a he's I'm a really, proud of him. He's a really good comedian, and and one of the things that has I wished been, I'd known that. Well, I didn't know you had a kid that got into that. Yeah. Till I saw saw him on TV, and I was like, man, he looks like Michael Johnson. I wonder <laughs> if he's related. Well, I the reason I'm bringing this up is that when he was younger, he said, "Dad, nothing gives me greater joy." than making someone laugh. Yes. And he said, I think I have what maybe, it takes. A, maybe a gift for that. And I said, well, obviously you do. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, so, and it was a Shonda Pierce video that inspired him to is, be who he is. As, as far as you know, that is absolutely correct. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'm sure he watched that going, oh, she talked about menopause. That's gross. Yeah. <laughs> now, he, he, he admires what you have been able to do with your career. He's talked to me about that. And cause he knows, he knows how hard it is. It is. And even you know, though, you know, I probably did five comedy clubs my whole career. Yeah. Those doors just never really flew open sure. for me. And, and you know, I would say this to, to Austin, I am so grateful for his strength and tenacity to go for it. I read a book 
my freshman year at Trevecca, okay. or maybe my sophomore year at Trevecca, uh, called Roaring Lambs. Yeah. And Bob Reiner wrote it. Great. It's probably about that thick. Great little book that I read that really let me know it was okay to love the arts. Yeah. Because I was, I mean, I did community theater, theater since I was like seven yeah. years old. It's funny. I played Gracie Shin, the mayor's youngest daughter, when I was seven. Okay. And I played Zanita Shin, the oldest daughter at Trevecca. That's awesome. Isn't that funny? So, um, and all that to say, I read that book, and it was talking about Christians going into the places where they need to shine a little light in a dark spot. Yeah. Holding some space yeah. for for something clean and funny and friendly, you know, um, and it may not look like the comedy, you know, it may not look like the you know the red skeleton we grew up with. Yeah. It might, you know, look a little closer to Eddie Murphy, <laughs> you know, or Dave yeah. Chappelle, whom I love. Yeah. But um, you know, it may look a little different than what we're used to laughing at, but it's okay because yeah. he's got roots. Yeah. You know, he got roots. You know, that yeah. they do not go away. You know, and I tried to run from mine hard and heavy, and Jesus would not let go of that rope. You know, and thank God for that. So I love that about Austin. And for me, reading Roaring Lambs, it gave me permission, who grew up in a very conservative holiness tradition, yeah. to be okay with liking going to a museum. You know, not every picture is going to be nasty about Jesus, you know, <laughs> you know, and not every joke yeah. has to be filthy right. and not every, yeah. and it, and it changed my perspective a lot. And then that, that's why it was okay. When I went to Austin P, I, I remained a theater major and I, and I was, <laughs> you know, funniest, the first play that I had anything to do with at Austin P. And this is coming from a school now that I had to fight on why do you not have the Shapoopy dance in yeah. the music man? The first play I was involved with was a Greek comedy called Lysistrata. Okay. And I just worked in the box office in the costume. You had to earn your roles. Sure. Yeah. And I worked in the costume and I helped show the costumes. And in that particular Greek comedy, it's where the women of Athens refuse sex with their husbands so they will stop fighting. Oh. So as the show would go on, the need for relations <laughs> became very apparent. <laughs> it was my job to sew the apparatus that would make the men look like they had a need for the relation. Oh my goodness. And I'm sitting in a costume shop sewing and I'm going, I'm going to hell. <laughs> I just left the most beautiful Christian institution on the planet and I'm sewing body parts. I'm going to hell. <laughs> it's so funny. I think that's so funny. But is that not such a God sense of humor? Yeah. You know, he's like, you want to dive into the deep end? All right, let's. And I'm like, go. oh, I don't want any part of this. <laughs> I want to go back to doing something fun and holy and clean. <laughs> How'd you get started in, uh, you know, actually touring and doing doing comedy dates you what? know i am um, my brother you know is great i had a manager i've had several but you know i've been taken to the cleaners twice in my career um had to go through a whole financial mess with word records because you know trying to get all your money and all this it was just i've had one of those where i felt like it, i never finally latched on to the to the right guy you know what i mean and that was a little friction between david and i 
I wanted to come home and know that he was managing the store and okay. he was golfing, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then the bills piled up and, you know, and all that to say it was, it was tough. It was tough for a lot of women that, you know, are the, out there doing, being the breadwinner and all. It just, for our upbringing, it was complete opposite of okay. what I thought my yeah. life was supposed to be. But all that being said, I am. Um, I, I latched on to a manager who was, was a good and excited about what I did. He loved the aspect that at the end of the funny, funny, I always felt it important to me. And that was just my calling. It doesn't throw, you know, guilt on any other comic out there. But for me and my calling, I always thought it was, a, I wanted people to see, you know, um, what it, my husband used to say this when he was teaching English, show, don't tell when you're writing show don't tell and i thought there was so much more important the thing that would show and not tell is at the end of the funny if they knew a little bit about where i came from mm. it would be such a shocker that yeah. there's no doubt there's a god in my life okay and so that's what started telling my story and aspects of it or little yeah. tidbits here and there and so I would tell what the Lord had brought me from and the losses and the grief in a, in a quick little nutshell, ver, nutshell version. And it, and it worked. And this guy, this manager, he saw it working right away. And, and my brother was doing some booking and stuff and helping me. And he got a hold of Women of Faith. Okay. And he said, my sister's funny. Yeah. You know, but she's got a story. And, and. I think it was Sheila Walsh or something who had who had, had was out having a baby, and I um, filled in for her in Cincinnati, Ohio, at the Riverfront Coliseum, and uh, it was twenty thousand women okay. there, right. and I did my thing, and that day, I mean, there's a whole funny backstory of it, but my phone never stopped ringing. Wow! And that was thirty three wow. years ago, and my phone still doesn't stop ringing. Um, and I don't say that in a bragging way. I say that just as shocked as anybody. Sure. Um, but I think for me and my house, what I think makes the difference between me just being a clean comic, yeah. which I have done, corporate events. I did a whole USO trip. You know, they didn't want you talking about Jesus, you know. And yeah. as a matter of fact, they give you a list. But anyway, I, I've been in places where you couldn't do it, your story. And I feel unfulfilled i feel like that just wasn't what i was called to be um i wish i used to argue with the lord let me just be a clean comic i don't want to tell us stuff yeah. all the time when i check my mail i don't get that little um you know uh you, you know that joke was funny i like what you said about your depends undergarments or you know i get when you talked about the death of your sister i just lost my sister or Thank you for sharing about being a widow. I've been a widow now, blah, yeah. blah, and that's what I get, yeah. and I love that. The intersection of joy and sorrow. It's the same road. It, it, it's, it's really. Do you know that even in your brain, the same stuff in your brain, I'm ruining it, but, you know, John Dix, if he was here, Professor Dix, <laughs> he could yes. tell us. But the endorphins and the, the same spot where that euphoria comes from in the laughing and the crying is the same spot in the brain. That I did not know. But yeah, it, it's it, really it, interesting. It, it, it actually makes sense because it's the heart so of So Austin and I are practically in the medical field. <laughs> uh, if you're alive, if you're breathing, you're going to deal with that. Any, all of that. It's, it's, it's. Any it's and all of that it. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So 
Oh. I used to resent people. Have you ever met someone and they had the perfect dress? And you're like, I bet he beats up cats when no one's looking. <laughs> <laughs> I felt that way a lot. I felt that way sometimes. At, at, uh, your Sarah was always nice to me. She always nice to me. I wish she was here today. But all that to say, I used to be so, if I saw a girl that was all together, you know, Sarah was all together too and smart. You know, I was not the Kets or the, you know, the Civitan guys were not asking me out. The <laughs> was the athletic dorm that was close to Wise Hall. Wise Hall. The, the wise Those guys, guys got yeah. me. You know, <laughs> the Benson, not so much. But it was so funny. It is, it I, I can remember the people that were always, if you run into them or you're fixing a sandwich or, in your, or you're in the you know, cafeteria line or whatever, Sarah was always nice. <laughs> I remember that. She was always like, well, good morning, Charlotte. How are you? You know, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, what are you up to now? <laughs> it was always like the big sister, what are you into now? That's, that's amazing. It is sweet. It is very sweet. Mm. And everybody has that. Everybody has the, the person that rubbed you the wrong way that you either determine to be better because of it or bitter. And I had a lot of bitter years. I like being better now. That's awesome. Plus, the really great thing, when God starts healing you, I don't even remember those people's names, yeah. except for that one dude. <laughs> <laughs> when the camera's off, I'll tell you who it was. <laughs> that is so funny. So, so I... I mean, we've got. Oh no, this is like a five-hour podcast we got, right we now. Got, we've gotten a little heavy here on a couple of, on a couple of subjects, but you you mentioned going on a USA oh, tour, and yes. I've, I've seen you in you know live performance a couple of different times, and I, I'm all about having fun and telling funny stories that relate to the church and have some socially redeeming value. But I want to. I want to. He just want to hear the down and dirty of it I, all. No, I want I want you to tell our friends who are listening. <laughs> About what it was like to go on that USO trip. Because not well, only you were with some uh, musicians, but right. but also the Dallas Cowboy Trailers. Oh, yes, of right? course, the Dallas Cowboy yes. Trailers. That's yes. what every guy, when the 10 men that come to my show, that's the only time they ever set up, oh, <laughs> the, the Cowboy Trailers. Well, I, she's I, legit. I just want you to tell your part of it because you you had a really interesting Oh, my star. Well, my new man, I had this new manager who came to me from, from Hollywood. He lives in Beverly Hills, and he, and he said, what are some things you haven't accomplished yet that I can do? And to be honest with you, I was like, well, I always wanted to speak to General Assembly for the Church of the Nazarene. He's like, what? <laughs> what is that? Yeah, and, but I did it, you know, so I was like, so my, you know, evidently my bucket list wasn't big enough. I wanted to be on the Opry someday. Well, I've been on the Opry like 90 times, yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? So yeah. I should have set, I should have had a higher bar or whatever. But I did say, I don't know why the USO doesn't ever take Christian artists. Yeah. And at that time, they didn't take very many. I don't think they ever had. And um, I said, they, you know, you're going to a war zone. You should take people that know how to pray. <laughs> <laughs> That's just my thought, you know. Yeah. But he said, you know, I'm going to work that out. And his client was Robin Williams. He he managed Robin's whole uh, life. Wow. His his firm did. And so Robin had done it the year before me. That's unreal. And he was so filthy that the couple of generals' wives and ambassadors yeah. that were there uh, uh, didn't like it. They say cross the line. And, um, and you know, they're trying to 
you know, I guess have the best relationships that you can in the Middle East. And so, um, so <laughs> I'm sure I would love to know what the conversation was. Well, since Robin was too dirty, have I got a gal for you? You know, <laughs> and I was so nervous because I I was so nervous that I thought I can't give these soldiers what they want. I know the stuff they want to laugh at. It's just you know, and it's not that I am some prude. I didn't even grow up hearing those words. If I tried to string a bunch of cuss words in one sentence, it would sound so stupid. Yeah. For one, I wouldn't know how to say them. And, yeah. you know, most of them are just, you know, yeah. I could try. But that's it, just not my vernacular. And so I was like, I, I, and you, you want to give your audience what they, you know, what they would like. Sure. And I was so nervous. And so the first thing we get to the rehearsal and Here's the cheerleaders. And evidently there's some rule where they have to dress like cheerleaders all the time. Mm. You know, and everything is pushed up. And at, by this time in my career, everything's flopping down. And so, <laughs> so right then I knew I was in trouble. And then, you know, they have these big country music stars. And I'm like, oh boy, you know. And, 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 and even one of the cheerleader girls said, so I hear you're our comedian this year. And I said, yeah. And they're like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you're a Christian? I go, yeah, yeah. Well, isn't this going to be interesting? You know, that's kind of yeah, how sure. they treated you, sure. whatever. So we get on this great big giant. We have one little kind of rehearsal visit, and then we get on this great, great big giant airplane that you could put. I'm not kidding you. You could put four or five of these houses wow. in that plane. Wow. It's the biggest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And what's so funny, there's this little winding staircase to the cockpit, and it's like an 18-year-old flying it. You yeah. know, a girl, a little girl. And I'm yeah. like, do your parents know you're that out you're, here? You're yeah. out here flying this plane? <laughs> yeah, to Germany. And so <laughs> so we're on the plane, and then they, the, one of the generals makes this announcement, or the sergeant major of the Army says, yeah. you know, we're going to land in Kuwait. Well, first, we're landing in Germany. We had to stop and get gas. And yeah. then what's so funny is they served us bratwurst and sauerkraut and stuff, you know, beer that they have in Germany. Yeah. And the smell from Germany to Kuwait, those cheerleaders stunk like the rest of us. So <laughs> they, you know, they fart like everybody else. So <laughs> we went... <laughs> So we went to Kuwait, and then they were dividing up in teams, and they said, you know, so first we're on the plane, and he goes, you might want to get spruced up. We're going to land in Kuwait, and you want to put some makeup on. And I had nothing. We're going to Afghanistan now, where we're going to wind up. The girls had giant curlers. I mean, if they had curly hair, they were trying to straighten. If they had straight hair, they were trying to curl it. Okay. They were doing the – they were like they are going to the prom, you know, getting all – I had a tube of chapstick and some baby powder. <laughs> it's like we're going to a war zone. I'm not glamming up. Plus, you know, I kept thinking they should wear burkas. They're going to get us killed, you know, because if you want to target on your head, their glittery clothes would shine from yeah. Kuwait to Afghanistan to, you know. So I went in the bathroom with and put on my Spanx, and Spanx were kind of new back in those days, and I didn't realize how bad it was going to be to put on a pair of Spanx in a bathroom that's the size of, well, you know, airplane bathrooms. Mm -hmm. There was some gymnastics in there. Mm -hmm. I should have won a medal for. 
And then we we get there, and you know I can't hardly breathe. I got stupid spanks on, and we get in the lines you know, to take photos and all this stuff. Of course, all the soldiers, you know, it's Dallas, Dallas Cover Chillers. Once in a while, once in a blue moon, a soldier would come up to me and go, "My grandmother loves your stuff." Or, Can I have my picture made? My mom has followed you forever. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, "Oh, thanks." You know, it was just. Moments like that, constantly, constantly. We went, um, we stayed in one of Saddam Hussein's palaces where we heard it was his sports palace where he would, for sports, and he would shoot things. He would, he collected animals from all over the world. Okay. Uh, he would have all kinds of fit, weird fish in this pond that he built. He turned off the people of Iran, Iraq's, he turned off of all of Iraq's water so that he could fill up his lake. So that the city of Baghdad went without water for like weeks and weeks mm. till his lake was full. And I mean, you hear stuff like that on the side all the time. And then he would throw, he would throw dead bodies in that lake, mm. you know, to hide the bodies and all this stuff. And so you have these man-eating fish. And I mean, they were weird looking uh, fish and stuff in this lake. And so, you know, I'm a prayer and I left the Nazarene church, no, no nothing offensive at all, but I started going to a very charismatic Pentecostal church so I could carry olive oil everywhere I go. And so, just in case you got to anoint something. And I went to my room and I started praying and anointing my doorpost and anointing the bed. And I anointed the beds of the two Dallas Cowboy Chillers. And I said, Lord, keep us safe. You know, let us let us be in this place um, and make a difference and help us laugh. But Lord, I know there's evil in this world. And whatever evil took place in this building and in this room, I, I, in the name of Jesus, it's got to go. And I was just praying. And the Dallas Cowboy Chillers caught me. They come around the corner and heard me praying. And it kind of, I'm sure it freaked them out a little bit. And so they were like, can you pray for our beds too and, and anoint our beds? And I said, no, you should have been nicer. And so. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> but, but that was funny. But it was funny. But, you know, I, uh, I, I always say, you know, I said, well, I'm out of oil but we can go to the kitchen and get some lard. And so they didn't know any different. And so I had them smear lard on their foreheads and they were just going with the chanting and all that stuff. And then in the prayer I'd say, Lord help me. And they'd go, Lord help me to never trust a comedian. What? <laughs> they were like, what? But I had opportunity to witness a little bit. This one comedian, I mean, this one lady, the MC of the show had been on the cover of Playboy. Hmm. And so a lot of her eight by tens, she was naked, but she was, you were signing her eight by, she would sign her eight by 10 and there was only a tattoo in a place that you would have to be naked to see. And so of course the soldiers were in line for that. My eight by 10 was like, nobody was in line for mine, but um, it was just so funny. But anyways, one night she said, I have a bodysuit Spanx. If you want to try it, that would help hide those lumps which I, they already found out I was a Christian, so I couldn't slap her. And um, they put that thing on me, and then they had to stand me up. And it takes everything, piece of skin from your ankle and pushes it all the way up, if you know what I mean. And I look good. I wanted to take it home and wear it for David, but if I'd gotten on that plane with that thing on, my head would have popped off. <laughs> you know, the pressure from my airplane, it would just, I'd be dead. But anyway, I wore it, and I did see General Petraeus 
uh, we were at some theater in Baghdad, and I said, I'm so sorry, because he was looking at me kind of like, she didn't look like that yesterday. And I said, uh, I'm sorry, this is not my, this is not my uh, cleavage, this is my ankles. <laughs> and he still laughs at this stuff. <laughs> oh, my word. I really don't know where to go. <laughs> I'm usually... Ma I'm, Michael in the middle just went right at R. <laughs> I, you really can't be anybody else than who you are. Even when you're portraying other characters. Yes. It's still... It, you're still your essential self in the part that you may be playing. You still carry yourself into that into that role. And I think you do. And your son does that. Yeah, will do that too. Absolutely. You know, I, I think... Um, if there is, on my tombstone, and you, when you came by my house, you passed the cemetery. My whole I moved my whole family out here. That's amazing. It was a hilarious day. I know it sounds like it wasn't, but it was funny. I tried to get Zachary to go through McDonald's and order four cheeseburgers because we had four bodies on a flatbed that went through town. <laughs> and only I could do it and be chuckling the whole way. That's hilarious. Although I will say, when they first loaded them on there, I teared up because I told Zachary, that's my whole family. You know, I, I wake up in the mornings and when it's nice, I have, I walk down there and have coffee with my husband, you know, all of those things that my therapist probably says, don't do it every morning. You know, that's yeah. not healthy. But, um, I will say getting comfortable with who you are, even getting comfortable with your brokenness has been, um, that'll be the last story I write. You know, I, uh, I've, I've been blessed. I've been on five or six Hallmark movies. I've been in two or three movies in the theaters. I've got one coming out, you know, it, it, around Mother's Day. I'm, I am blessed. I have been blessed to have a life I never dreamed I would have. And I do think I have been my authentic self. It's not always accepted. And I also carry a long-lasting, never-go-away pain uh, from a relationship with one of your children. That, that pain is almost my undoing, but I won't let it kill me twice. You know what I mean? And so, and that pain is there because somebody wants me to be not me. Yeah. And, and you have to either decide what boundary you're going to include in your life. And, and I say this to everybody, and especially women out there that struggle, find a healthy, healthy boundary that includes a healthy you as healthy as we can be on this side of heaven. Yeah. And then stick with it. So um, you, we've joked a little bit about, you know, how things will eventually end up. And I, I do a lot of thinking about this. Do I like kinda, single kinda, men, do you have any of those left in your arsenal? I'll, 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 be, I'll be making that a matter of prayer for you. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't have a race. Find that jerk when we were a freshman. Find that guy. That'd be funny about how you like me now. That's what I'm asking you. I, I heard Toby Keith sing that the other day, and I thought, that is an amazing song. It actually. really is. You know, but anyway, I digress. Yes. What, I, what I wanted to say is I'm thinking a lot about the age that I am. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, but I, I do think about being in the middle of generations now. Yeah. I mean, like, my dad's still alive at 86. My mother-in-law lives in our house. She's 100 years of age. Wow. You know, it, but but our, our oldest son is 40, and then you start going down toward grandchildren and all that. And it's like, man, have I, 
do, what do I have left, you know, that's out there in front of me that, that I can still make a difference in, in, in somebody have I, or my best days behind me, you know, those kind of, I can't stand that thought that, that my best days are behind me. I always want to be looking out there. That's so healthy. Good for you. You know? And, I and, don't either. And I, I, I look at days sometimes at, at 63 and I go, I don't know how God can top that. You know, something wonderful will happen. I'll go, well, I don't know how, I, how he's going to top this. You know, so is that it? Like a movie releases. I'm like, I always wanted to be the yeah. star of a movie that I helped write. I'm going to do it. You yeah. know, I'm like, this is now what, you know, or you hold a grandchild or, or someone who you feels like a grandchild and you go, how, yeah. how man, you know, I just, it just doesn't get any Brian Duncan and I is an old friend of mine. And he'll say that I, the first time his granddaughter put his head on her head on his shoulder, he said, I was done. You know, it's like, I, I don't, I don't think there's anything God can do to top this. You know, this is, this is just it. For me, it is okay. Maybe, Maybe this uh, an experience won't be able to top this, but maybe it's the realization of another day that I've got to be able to look at, you know, all the things that have happened in my life and I'm still here and I'm still breathing and I'm still, yes. I, I, I'm st I still have a chance to live maybe. and that that's as good as it can get sometimes that I've got, I've got one more day. And for me, one of the things I'm trying to do with this is the world has enough people who are trying to beat each other up and beat each other down. Yes. What, what can we do? And I think you've done that with your very real look at life, but your ability to help people laugh and smile and maybe forget for just a little while their troubles about the, about the pain that the pain doesn't feel so heavy because that and the pain doesn't that have to define you. No, it doesn't. But that laughter thing is pushing the pain thing out. Yes. You know, that's just, exactly just right. For a little while. I want to be someone that the devil says, Oh shoot, she's awake. Yeah. You know, I, I love that. I also want like on my tombstone, I think I want to be the type of person that says there was an elephant in the room and she was willing to talk about it. Mm. I want our generation to be also part of going, man, we went through the stuff so that you guys can find better solutions and bigger solutions and teach, teach the church to be what it needs to be, you know, and it's better. I think that's a great way to, to wrap up this little talk here. I mean, get in the middle of the mess. You, you, well, we're all in the middle of the mess, whether yes. we want to admit it or not. Yes, it's, it's, how, true. it's how we deal with the mess. And, and that's, that's where the responsibility lies for a lot of us who are willing to at least talk about some of these issues and to get in the middle of, of real life with real people and, and recognize that they're just as loved by God as, as I am. You know, that's, that's what I have to be Amen. reminded of from time to time. And, um, I, I can't tell you how much it means to me that you're willing to take some time to, to chat with me about some of these things. And maybe we can do this again sometime. Um, we should. you know, but I, 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 I want to say this in all sincerity. I respect you so much. And appreciate how you have hung in there when it would have been easier to give up. But you made a conscious choice to stay in the middle of what it was that God was doing in your life and what he was doing through you to bless other people. And, and there's nothing more important that any of us can do if we call ourselves Christian than to be a blessing in someone's life and give them a sense that a better day 
is, is just ahead. around the corner. Yes. You know. And it's not just heaven. No. God no. comes down to earth all the time for Absolutely. me and does wonderful things. And most yeah. of the time, he does it through people like us. Yes. And uh, especially you, you've been you've been awesome. Uh, I'd love that you keep up with old friends. I'm not good at that. I'm I'm terrible at one. My just my life is so busy, but. I'm not good at that. I need to get better at that. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. I want, I just want you to sincerely know that if you could get me tickets to SNL, then <laughs> just okay. you can edit all that. Would you rather, that's hilarious. Would, would you rather have a man or tickets to SNL or tickets to um, SNL? The man, man thing, that's been long gone. I'll take the tickets to SNL. <laughs> That's, that's Shonda Pierce. You can see why she's sold so many records across the years, but you can also see why she's made such a personal impact on a lot of people that, um, that she may never know uh, in this life. I think that's one of the great things about the opportunity that we all have. If we do the next right thing, if we yeah. take the opportunity to uh, make a difference in, in somebody's world, um, you know, one person at a time, the whole world will be changed in the process. Um, that's Michael in the middle, episode 25. I'm glad you're here. Get out there and get in the middle of doing something good for somebody else. Uh, it'll it'll make a difference for them and you too. 